growing in God's Word, and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Listen, I know this is Christianity 101, but every person has to know this if they're going to know Him. God is the source of love toward us. You see, God's love didn't cancel out His holiness. God's love didn't cancel out His justice. God's love met us at the cross where it canceled out our sin debt. I guess no subject in the world has been thought about, talked about, written about, and sung about more than the subject of love. But really, what is love? And where does love come from? In the midst of this description of love and this discussion on love, John makes this amazing, astounding statement. God is love. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Crosswalk. If you're new to Crosswalk, we're in the middle of a series entitled The Am I Series, making our way through 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. As we've seen in the first three chapters of 1st John and the first part of chapter 4, John has a lot to say about the kind of evidence that should be in our lives if we are a follower of Jesus Christ. You don't have to have a seminary degree to understand what is coming across as the main idea of this text. It is what? Love. It is Love. Today, we finish up 1 John chapter 4, and Pastor Clay is going to share with us what love is, and where it comes from, and why it's so important in our lives. We're so glad you could join us today for this powerful message on the priority of love. Now, here's Pastor Clay. Someone talked to me on on Facebook, and uh, it, it turned out that they had recently bought a, a, an old home, and most of you know that uh, Cindy and I are from uh, Okeechobee, Florida, a small, small little town in south-central Florida, and uh, Okeechobee is a small little town, and about, I don't know, 20 miles, 15, 20 miles outside of Okeechobee is the town of Bassinger, and I'm using that term very loosely when I say town, because Bassinger was just a wide spot in the road, it really was, and that's where Cindy and her family lived. Her dad owned a convenience store at that wide stop, you know, that crossing in the road or whatever, wide spot in the road. And uh, so they lived out in Bastion. It was way, way out of town. Well, this person that contacted me had recently purchased an old home out in Bassinger, and they were remodeling the home. And as they were remodeling the home, they were uh, tearing some paneling off the wall. And it turns out, that this home uh, is the home that Cindy grew up in when she moved here uh, when she was 12 or 13 years old. And after they had moved out of the house, some people had put some paneling up on the walls. And this, this person that contacted me was remodeling the house, and they tore down the paneling. And when they tore down the paneling, uh, they sent me this picture. They said, does this look uh, familiar? And they sent me this picture of... Uh, of my name up on the wall, uh, which turns out to be Cindy's bedroom, uh, when she was 15 or 16 years old. So already, and now listen, that's way more than 40, 40 years ago. They pulled the paneling off, and here's this Clay Stevens, you know, and uh, number 42. She had my football number and all this kind of stuff. And um, that's, that's way more than 40 years ago. And uh, my wife was, uh, even at 15 or 16 years old, somehow was deeply in love with me and is still deeply in love with me today. I have no idea why she puts up with me and does all that stuff. Thanks. I wasn't trying to get applause, but the applause is for her because she puts up with a lot. We will be married 40 years this next July. And so that's an exciting thing for us, especially since she looks like 34. And so to, to be married 40 is quite a trick to pull off. But um, I thought, wow, you know, just even, and, and, I, and she, and she'll tell you this, she doesn't know why, but she just fell in love with me at 15, 16 years old. And, and God has blessed us even at times when we weren't looking, we weren't doing things God's way. And God was still uh, just his hand was upon us and working and accomplishing purposes. Even we weren't necessarily in his will. And I'm so grateful for that. I'm so grateful for love. I am so grateful for love. Uh, hopefully you brought a copy of God's Word with you. First John chapter 4, starting this morning in verse 7. It's going to be up on the screen as well, but uh, maybe you've got a hard copy. Maybe you've got an iPad, tablet. Maybe you've got a phone that you can open it up to. 
1 John chapter 4, verse 7 through the end of the chapter. I'm going to read all of it right now, 7 through 21, uh, because I really think we need to to capture the the context of this and the full grasp of this. Uh, We'll break it down in just a moment, look at some parts of it. But I am so grateful for love. 1 John uh, chapter 4, beginning this... That sounded very ominous, didn't it? That sounded very ominous. Uh, Beginning this morning in verse 7. Ready? All right. Thank you. I appreciate that. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live Through him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us his spirit. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And we have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love and the one who abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment and the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him that the one who loves God should love his brother also. Father God, in Jesus' name, the name that is above every name, the matchless name, the name that is love, I ask today that you would speak in and to and through us, communicate your truth in such a way that we would grasp it, internalize it, and apply it to our lives. That's always my prayer. It has been for all the years you've allowed me to to stand before people and and communicate your truth, whether it's in a room of of 10 or a room of thousands, Lord God, to get to communicate your truth is an amazing uh, privilege and responsibility. So as your messenger boy today, Lord God, would you use me as your instrument, as your mouthpiece to speak to people's hearts today, right where they are, to meet them in their life. Somebody in here that, that could be hurting. Somebody in here that, that could be rebelling. Somebody in here that's angry. Somebody in here that just needs to hear the truth of your word. And as I said, internalize it and apply it. God, may all of us be open right now to what you would say to us. And we all ask it in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. I want to share a few ideas with you from this uh, lengthy passage of Scripture, but one that obviously is very, very important. We're going to start with this idea this morning. It's easy to see the priority of love. I'm not going to read verse, first part of verse 7 and 11 and 21 again, but it's easy to see the priority of love. Listen, you don't have to be a, a Bible scholar or even the son or daughter of a Bible scholar to see what is the emphasis of this text. You don't have to have a seminary degree to understand what is uh, coming across as the main idea of this text. It is what? Love. It is love. It is love that comes across in this text. And we'll look at it more in a few moments, but 
uh, it's important that we understand that it's not just any kind of love that we're talking about. It's a God kind of love that we're talking about that, that is different from perhaps the world's idea of love, what that looks like, what that is, that sort of thing. But, but we can start with just this idea that it is easy when we read this text. And by the way, it's not just this text, right? If you have been in this series, you know John went extensively into love in chapter 3 of 1 John. Do you remember that? Act like you do if you don't. He extensively, he went into love in 1 John chapter 3, and not just in, in 1 John, but in his gospel letter. Love is all over the place in there. And I do not believe that it is an exaggeration to say from Genesis to Revelation, the whole thing is one giant, big love letter from God to us. The whole thing is God's love letter. Now, I understand, you know, if that would happen at the right time, guys, I could really use that. I could be really effective with that. But, but when it happens when I'm not expecting it, it's difficult for me to recover from that. Um, where was I? Oh, yeah, love. <laughs> uh, that the whole thing is this love letter and, and that it, it, it's communicating this, this message to us of God's love for us. It's easy to see the priority of this text. You don't have to, you don't have, to have read it many times to figure that out. That it's the priority of our lives is love. Now, I understand if you, in the whole thing, Genesis, I understand there's other stuff in there as well. But to understand that, and I think it's safe to say that there is a priority of love when it comes to God. Uh, some of you remember me talking about this and, and a handful of us uh, a month or so ago, whenever it was, a handful of us were able to go down and see the motion picture uh, Mully when it uh, was showing here a month or six weeks ago, whenever it was. Uh, I know just a few of us were able to go and see that. Um, it's a story of a man and the impact that God has on his life and then the impact that man has on other uh, people's lives. It's, a, it's, a, it's just a wonderful film. And I, when I talked about it the Sunday after I saw it, if you were here, you may remember that I said that, that I'm going to purchase that film and then I'm going to show it in here with everybody in here because everybody needs to see that film. But honestly, as I thought about it, and because of the, the length of the, the film, that in order to show it in here, we'd have to break it up into a couple of different Sundays. And quite honestly, I, I'm afraid that it would lose some of its impact if we did that, if I had to break it up into a couple of Sundays like that. So fortunately, I found out that the film is uh, being released again. It's showing again in movie theaters this coming Thursday night. I, I'm going to ask a favor of you. I'm asking you, if at all possible, it may not be possible. You may have to work. You may have to, I'm asking you, if this is at all possible, I'm going to ask every single one of you to go see this film Thursday night. It's showing at Briar Creek, and it's showing at North Hills. Uh, Briar Creek is a place where it just seemed like a lot of people could gather and meet, and most of us could go. I, I'm asking you to cancel anything else you've got Thursday night, if at all possible. I'm asking you to go see this film Thursday night. I think it's 7 o'clock. And listen, I understand that there's some financial investment in there in here because this costs more than a normal film. I think it's like fifteen dollars like that to see the film. So I know it's a little more investment, but I honestly believe that it's worth it. I really do. I really believe this film can impact our lives and the life of us as a church. And I'm I'll be honest with you. I'm I'm. I'm just praying and looking for something that, that will encourage us and motivate us uh, to, to, to get out and display the love of God in a powerful way. And I'm not saying that cross-culture church is not impacting lives. I'm not saying cross-culture church is not uh, trying to influence the world around us. I, I'm just saying we've got to do more. Cross-culture church has, has got to grow. We have to grow. We have to grow. We have to reach people. We have to care enough uh, to, to risk being rejected. We have to care enough to invite and invest people. We, we have to care enough to do this. And, and I'm just looking, honestly, I'm looking for some way that we can begin to get a hold of this idea of love and apply it to our lives and to the life of the church. I really believe it will, will change it. Uh, and I'm asking you to, to come out and see it Thursday night. And if, and if you have children, and you can decide for yourself what age or whatever, but I'm saying if you've got a child that's eight, nine, 
10 or older, I'm asking you to bring, bring them with you, if at all possible, uh, to see this film. Now, some of you have already seen it, and I'm not asking you to do it again. You've already gone to see it, because I, I, I said, I know it's expensive. And I'll say this, uh, I don't, you know, Cindy and I are not wealthy uh, people, but, but I'm telling you, we'll find a way. If you, if you can't afford a ticket to go, we'll find a way to get you a ticket to, to go. Because I just, I just believe it's that important. I'm asking you, if at all possible, uh, to go. You can, if you want to know, you can see Cindy, but you have to go online and order the tickets. I don't think you can get them. Uh, you can't get them there at the theater. I think you have to order them in advance. Um, but it, it drives home this idea of the priority of love. Love has to be the priority of our lives. Maybe, maybe you've read these words Jesus said in Matthew chapter 22, who when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, or two different religious, primary religious groups in that day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and they were always testing Jesus, always trying to get Jesus to, to flub up or fail or something so that the people wouldn't accept him. But when the Pharisees heard that, they, that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, they met together to question him again. And one of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, what is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And the law of Moses is primarily just the Old Testament, the, uh, certain of those first five books. But, but that, that's it for, for the Jewish people. What, what, what is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. This is the priority, ladies and gentlemen. The priority is love. And, and listen, remember, we're not talking about any kind of love. We're not talking about what the world's idea of love might be. Talking about a love that, we're not talking about a love that, that lasts as long as the feeling lasts or a love that is based on what have you done for me lately. We're talking about agape. And most of you know what that word, that Greek word for love. Agape, sacrificial, other person first kind of love. I want to ask you to ask yourself, this question this morning. Is God kind of love the priority of my life? I really want you to think about that for a moment now. Just, just, just chew on that for a moment. Is God kind of love the priority of my life? I'm not asking you if you're loving all of the time. I know you're not. I'm not either. I'm not asking you if, you, if you're loving all the time. I know you're not. What I'm asking you is... Do you, is it your conviction and your heart's desire to build your life on and around God kind of love so that the decisions that you make in your life are built on, based on, come from this God kind of love so that the interactions that you have with your spouse or with your children or with your your distant relatives or with your coworkers or your boss or your neighbors or your schoolmates or whoever it might be are, are the, the contacts and the interactions that you have with those people, are they built on this, this simple idea, God kind of love? Is God kind of love the priority of my life? Is that what I'm building my life on? It is amazing to me, shouldn't be, but it is amazing to me how quickly we can get in the flesh. When someone hurts us, someone angers us, someone acts like a jerk toward us, it is amazing how quick, maybe, maybe not y'all, maybe it's just me, how quickly I can get in the flesh when something like that happens in my life, right? It, it, they do that to us, they say something to us, they hurt us, they, they do something and we're like, oh, mm, it's on. And we're firing back at them. Listen, I'm just going to throw this out there. I'm just going to throw this out there. What if you responded in love? I'm just throwing that out there. What if you responded in love? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Sure, preacher man. Let me tell you what's going to happen if I respond to that person in love. They're going to keep doing it. 
They're going to keep hurting me. They're going to keep making me angry. They're going to keep uh, making me mad. They're going to keep uh, getting right, right away with it. If I respond in love, they're going to just keep right on doing it. And I have to keep taking this abuse and keep being hurt and keep making me angry. And all that. If I, if I don't say anything, if I don't fire back at them, if I, if I respond in love, uh, I'm going to lose at this thing. They're going to take advantage of me in this thing. A, I'll bet you're wrong. I'll bet you you're wrong. I'll bet that if you apply this love principle and you respond in love when someone is nice and kind to you, when someone is unnice and unkind, when they're a jerk to you, that if you respond in love, I'll bet that in the long run, everybody will be better off as a result of your responding in love than they would have been had you not. Everybody will be better off. I'm I'll bet you that that's the case, including yourself. You'll be better off if you can learn to respond in love. As a matter of fact, uh, perhaps you've read this passage of Scripture. Uh, Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1 says this, A gentle answer deflects deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. A gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. I learned it originally probably in the Newberg Standard, the King James, and it says, uh, a gentle answer turns away wrath. God says that if you'll apply this principle of love, which is basically what a gentle answer w- would require, that, that it can deflect, it can, it can turn away, it can bring down anger. But harsh words make tempers flare. Listen, you, you, know, you know the second part of that verse is true, don't you? You know that it's true, and you know that it's true because you've been on the receiving end of it, and you've been on the giving end of it, haven't you? You know that it's true. So why not give that first part a try? Why not say, you know what, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to try love. I, I'm going to try and, and give a gentle answer. I, I, I remember the first time I began to try and apply this principle after I came to Jesus in the early mid-80s, I was working for the post office, and part of my responsibilities at the post office is I would have to work the window some, the counter where customers would come in to buy stamps and, and mail packages and complain about stuff that was, got broken in the mail and uh, something that was lost and all that kind of stuff. Y'all ever stood in line at the post office? Y'all know what it's like, right? Because there's like, at y'all's post office, Cindy said something about it just the other day was she had to go to the public. There's like 12 windows, right? There's 12 places where people can work, and there's always one person, like that down at the very end. And so you stand in line, oftentimes on your lunch hour, you stand in line waiting, and then all you need is a book of stamps. They still put book, stamps in books? I don't even know if they do that or not. That's what we used to call it. Um, and, 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 so, and so I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try this. I'm going to apply this principle. And people would come to my window um, Sometimes some people would be fine, but sometimes they're fired up, man. Their, their, their half-hour lunch time is gone, right? Or their, their grandma's uh, china that, that their mom had mailed to them is now grandma's china dust because some postal employee couldn't read Fragili and, and tried to, try to use it as a punt passing kid. I don't know. But, but they come to the window and they're mad, man. They are, they're, uh, oftentimes people come to the window, they're just mad, they're angry, they're stewing. And sometimes it's maybe even just stuff in their life. Maybe at, at work their boss is just being, being a jerk or, or their bills are way behind and they're feeling the pressure of that or whatever. And they come to that window and, and they're, they're loaded for bear and they're looking for somebody to fire on. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it happens. Maybe you work in a situation where you go through some of that. And I just, I said, I'm going to apply this principle. A gentle answer turns away wrath. And no matter what they did or how they acted, I began, I, I, would, I would try and apply this principle. I'm not telling you I got it right all the time, but I'm telling you I tried to apply this principle where wh- whatever they said, I would just, you know, I, I'm so sorry you've had to wait so long. Let me get this done so I can get you out of here as quickly as possible so I, you can get on your way. And, you know, uh, I, I, every, every situation I tried to handle in that way. I'm not telling you that every person left there, um, uh, you know, with a smile on their face, singing it's a small world after all, or, or something like that. I'm not telling you that every person left happy, uh, but, but I'm telling you, it is amazing what I saw uh, happen in, in people's lives and just that, applying that one principle. I'm telling you, there, was, there are countless times that I literally would see anger drain out of people's faces when, when I just began to respond in kindness to them rather than react the way my flesh wanted to and like, I didn't break your package, lady. <laughs> kind of thing. You know what I'm saying? Uh, it's it just what I, I, I'll bet you if you'll respond this way, 
you'll be better off. And, and B, even if you do still get abused verbally, even if you do get taken advantage of, even if that person still wants to just ring you out or always be bitter or angry towards you, even if you have to keep enduring that, but your response is always in kindness, always in love, always in gentleness, you have honored God with your response. You've honored God with your response. Now you tell me which you would rather do. Sit there and stew in your anger and let them have it or bask in the blessings of God because you have responded in a way that honors him. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? It's easy to see that the priority of our lives should be love. Second, let me give you a second idea this morning. It's critical to know the person of love. This is critical to know the person of love. Let me read some of this uh, starting in verse uh, 7. Beloved, let us love one another, uh, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And the one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Look at this description of how if you don't love, you you don't know God. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Verse 12, no one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. See, all the way down to verse 16. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Verse 19, we love because he first, he first, he first loved us. And just practically speaking, John says, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, that, that's, that's, that's insane, that he's a liar. Because you can't love God who you, who you haven't physically seen with your eyes. And at the same time, hate your brother who you can see with your first God. That doesn't even make sense, he says. It is critical to know the person of love. Twice in this passage. By the way, I didn't mention this at the beginning. But by my count, uh, I think 15 times, something like 15 times, John uses the word love in some shape, form, or fashion. But in the midst of this, this description of love and this discussion on love, in the midst of that, John makes this uh, amazing, astounding statement. God is love. He says, God is love. What, what, a, what a powerful statement, right? Oh, you want to know what love is? God is love. It's a very true statement, but let me say this to you. It is a statement that has been misunderstood. It is a statement that has been misinterpreted at times. So let me share with you what God is love doesn't mean. Okay, let's start there. God is love doesn't mean that love is God. Quite honestly, this is the mistake that a lot of people make today. The idea that, hey, God may be righteous, God may be holy. God may even have some some holy, righteous expectations for my life. But he is love. So his attribute of love, this is the reasoning, this is the thinking. So his attribute of love basically trumps or cancels out his attribute of holiness and righteousness and justice. that, That his love basically cancels those things out. So in that line of thinking, are y'all with me? You still here? In that line of thinking, God comes to me on my terms and not on his terms because, because he, he may have a holy expectation for my life, but his love trumps everything. His love cancels out everything. And so even though he has an expectation of, of a moral standard and, and desire for my life, that is canceled out by his love. His love trumps everything. So love basically becomes God. In this scenario, listen, and you know, you've heard this from people. Well, you know, I'm sure I know, you know, maybe what I'm doing is maybe not right. Or I I know probably I I shouldn't be doing that, but but I know God loves me. And that becomes the justification for continuing in an action that that God says is wrong. No, listen to me. God is love doesn't mean that love is God. Let me tell you what it does mean. God is love means that God is the source of love. And again, remember, we're talking about God kind of uh, self-sacrificing rather than self-serving. Not self-promoting, not self-absorbed, but others thinking, others first thinking. 
This idea of love. God is the source of love. And listen, there's a couple different ideas about this that you need to understand. First, you need to understand that God is the source of love toward us. Right? He's the source of love toward us. Look at it in verses 9 and 10 again, this time from New Living. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have what? Eternal life. How? Through him. This is real love. Here it is. Not that we loved God. Not that, that, that we extended uh, some gracious act or loving kindness towards God that made God say, oh, well, I love them because of what they did for me. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Every person has to understand that God is the source of love toward us. And listen, I know this is Christianity 101, but every person has to know this if they're going to know him. And that's, that's the secret. That's what we're getting to. He's the source of love toward us. You see, God didn't, God didn't cancel out. God's love didn't cancel out his holiness. God's love didn't cancel out his justice. God's God's love met us. It met us at the cross where it canceled out our sin debt. That's what it canceled out. It canceled out our sin debt so that God could be loving toward us and still not violate his justice, his, his, his uh, righteousness, uh, his, his holiness. All of those things were met by his love at the cross and your sin and my sin was canceled at the cross when we come to him and place our faith in him. Love God became the source of love toward us. Do you understand? And I would say amen, amen, and amen. That God is the source of love toward us. But listen, not only is God the source of love toward us, but God is the source of love from us. And this is very, very important that you understand this. Okay? Now, let me read it again. Verse 12 and 13. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. Now that's interesting. Why does John interject this this discussion all of a sudden into this discussion of love and from, you know, the whole thing, love, 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 love. Why does John suddenly interject this discussion? idea about God giving us his spirit in the middle of this discussion on love. Somebody asked me why. Glad you asked. Let me tell you why. God interjects this, or uh, John, God writing through the apostle John, interjects this idea of his spirit into this discussion on love because one, his spirit is evidence of his love, this gift that he gives to us, the gift of the Holy Spirit who comes to dwell with us, this, this Holy Spirit who, who convicts us and confronts us and comforts us and teaches us and guides us and empowers us. Uh, His presence in my life becomes evidence of his love that's been poured out on me. But second, he introduces this idea of the spirit because, ladies and gentlemen, you can't love. Not in the way God wants you to. You can't love. It's not in you, quite honestly, to do it. Not God kind of love the way God wants you to love. It is his love. Watch this. Galatians chapter 5. You've probably read it many times before. But the Spirit, but the Spirit produces love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, humility, and self-control. There's no law uh, such things as these. In other words, man, you, you, you never go wrong if you, do, if you do these kind of things. There's no law against such things as these. And those who belong to Christ have put to death their human nature and all its passions and desires. The Spirit has given us life. He must also control our lives. He's given us life. He must control our lives. We must not be proud or irritate one another or be jealous of one another. Now listen, it's easy to see that all of those, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, you know, self-control, humility, it's it's easy to see that all of those attributes, all of those characteristics, if they are operating, if they are in my life, then I am displaying the character of Christ, right? But but he begins, the first one he lists, he begins with what? He begins with what? He begins with what? He begins with love. 
That love is where this thing is built on. And it's, it's whose love? That's right. It's, uh, I think New American Standard, and I think the King James also say, they call, calls it the fruit of the Spirit. And notice it's a capital S, meaning not your spirit. No, meaning the Holy Spirit in you. If you belong to Christ, the Holy Spirit is in you, and the Holy Spirit in you then, as you, and we'll get to what you have to do to, to get there, but he produces in you love, joy, peace, patience, all, all of those kind of things. He produces this in you. Listen, this is so important, because here's what happens. When people come to Jesus, when people come into a relationship with Jesus, they, either they learn it real quickly, or they almost understand instinctively that, well, I'm, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus now. I need to act more like Jesus. I need, to be, I need to be more like Jesus. So guess what they do? They, they try to be more like Jesus. They try to be more loving. They try to be more patient. They try to be more kind. They try to be more uh, uh, humble. They try, to be, they, they try to do these things because that's, that's what they're supposed to do. And, and maybe, 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 maybe they experience some success for some period of time. Maybe they are a little kinder towards people. Maybe they are a little more loving towards a person that they weren't very loving towards. Maybe they, they are, uh, have a little more self-control in their life for a period of time. But I'm telling you, from my own experience, in 30 years uh, of walking with Jesus, 30 plus years of walking with Jesus, and in, in trying to, 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 to teach other people, I'm telling you, inevitably, they fail. And you want to know why, you want to know why they fail? It's going to blow somebody else's mind. You know why they fail? They fail because they're trying. You fail because you're trying. You're trying to do something that's not within you to do. I mean, I'm talking about in you, in your flesh, in your self-ability. And so when you say, oh, why did I say that to my wife? Oh, why did I act so snobbish towards my husband? Or why did I deny that? Or how, why didn't I act this? Why, that, that waiter just made me so mad. Why did I act that way? I know I shouldn't do that way. The problem oftentimes, ladies and gentlemen, is we're trying to do what we're, what, what's not in us to do. Do you understand what I'm saying? It is the Holy Spirit's fruit. He produces in us. He gives to us love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and all of those, all those other attributes that are listed there. You see, it's a work that he does in us. And somebody says, well, I, I just need to try harder. No, no. You don't need to try harder. You don't need to try more to be a follower of Jesus. You need to die more to be a follower of Jesus. See, it's always coming back there. It's always coming back to, here it is, surrender. It's always coming back to surrender. To surrender my life, to say, God, not, not my will, but your will be done. God, I, I, I just, I'm coming before you. I, I surrender. I give up. Take my life, do with me what you want to do. Uh, it, it is coming to that place, as the Apostle Paul put it, in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God. Give yourself to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice. Now, as long as you're here, as long as your heart is beating, as long as you're breathing, as long as you're on this earth you're living, let, this, let your life be this living sacrifice. What is a sacrifice? Something laid on the altar, something completely uh, given to God. Here, here's the problem is, though, one, one commentator that I, that I read a long time, i never forget. The problem with a living sacrifice is that it keeps getting up off the altar. Boy, can I relate to that. The kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. I, I'm, I'm so, we have a talented praise team, and y'all join in, and I... I I mean, it's wonderful. And we do some wonderful songs. But this is the greatest act of worship. You know, it's a funny thing about worship. And I know not everybody does this, but, but I know you've seen, maybe, maybe you do it, but, but some people, as part of their custom in the act of worship, when they're gathered corporately or wherever, some people will, will, will lift their hands uh, to, to God. It's a very biblical uh, concept, uh, by the way. Nehemiah chapter 8, Psalm 141. Uh, it was a practice of, of Jewish people. I don't know if you've ever thought of it this way, but lifting your hands to God symbolically could be saying, God, I, I surrender. I surrender. I surrender my life to you. God, I, I surrender all that I have, everything that, God, who I am, what I am, my job, my vocation, my idea of happiness, my, my money, my time, my everything. God, I surrender it to you. 
You do with me what you would do with my life. You work in and through me. You accomplish your purposes. And God, I may not always understand everything that you're doing, but God, I surrender. That's worship. Whether you lift your hands or not, that's worship. The concept, the idea of complete and total surrender to God. And that's what you and I have to do if we're going to to know this person of love. Let me me walk through real quickly on the specifics. How do, I, how do I know? It's critical to know the person of love. How do I know this person of love? And there's, there's several things we can talk about, but there are three that are absolutely critical, indispensable. First one is this. Open your heart. That's salvation. That's salvation. To come to him and say, God, I, I'm, I'm holding on to nothing. I'm not bringing anything to you. I'm not trying to bring you my good God. It's totally of you and this work that you did. Your son's sacrifice on the cross is the only way I can have a relationship with you. God, I desire to be forgiven and to know you in a real and personal and intimate way. That's salvation. What is it? Jeremiah 29, 13 says, you will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with what? With all of your heart. I'm just telling you right now, God, God, God doesn't fool around with this thing. God doesn't, it's not, you know, some half-hearted, you know, well, yeah, I, I believe in Jesus. It's not, this is, this is a real deal to God. That it's opening your heart and, and surrendering your life to him and accepting his gift of eternal life. You have to start there. If you're going to know him, if you're going to truly know him, it has to start with an open heart and, and salvation. Second, uh, not only open heart, but an open, open your mind. That's conversation. You've got to open your heart. That's salvation. You've got to open your mind. That's conversation. Conversation with God, specifically. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 says this. Say it with me. You could probably memorize this one. Pray without ceasing. Close your eyes and say it. Y'all already memorized past the scripture right there. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. You've got, you got to memorize. Pray without ceasing. Now, obviously, if you, you know this. There are, so, there are hundreds of verses that I could have looked at and pulled out and, and for, uh, deal with prayer and that sort of thing. I picked one that was short and sweet and to the point just to bring it out to you. This idea of conversation with God, which is really all that prayer is. You understand? It's dialoguing with God. It's conversation with God. You have to come to the place where you're willing to do that. And I know, especially, and and listen, I'm not, this is the truth. We love our stuff and we love our schedules and we love our clocks and we love all this stuff here in America and we are a blessed people. But I'm telling you, in some respects, it is a curse. Because I got got to be here at 9.15. I got to do this at 10.20. I got to be over there at, and I'm going to tell you something. Some of the, well, the, the, the strongest prayer words I've ever met in the world are ones that live somewhere outside of the United States because they're not driven by their clocks. Now, they don't have, they don't have nice stuff. They don't have a central air, two cars in the garage. They're not booking a tea time for Tuesday. They're not, they, they, there's a lot of stuff that, that, that we have that they don't have, but I'm telling you, they understand this principle that, man, I, I, I've got to, I got to get alone with God. I've got to get alone with God. I've got to do this. I've got to begin to have a conversation with him. Which, by the way, is you pouring out. By the way, you can, you can, you can pray out loud. I, I, you don't have to not pray out loud. It's, it's, it may primarily go on in your mind, but you can pray out loud. I do a lot of times. But to pour out your heart, your burden, your desires, your thoughts, your aches your what for yourself for others for that's that's sure that's part of conversation with god to pour those things out not because he doesn't know them of course but because it is a demonstration of my faith in him number one and because it it builds this relationship how do you get to know somebody this is not rocket science folks you know how you get to know somebody talk to them talk to them spend some time with them it's amazing what can happen in your in your relationship with somebody it's point and it's learning how to listen to God. I don't mean audible. Maybe for, he's never spoke audibly to me. But to, but to hear his heart, to hear his desires for my life and for his creation. I, you and I have to do this. If we're going to know him, we have to have this conversation with God. We have to open our minds. We have to begin to, to get alone. And, and that, requires, that requires getting up 30, 40 minutes earlier than you would. It means finding a, a, a room to get by yourself or a closet to get by yourself. And, well, I, 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 we do family devotionals at night. Wonderful. Praise God. 
I'm just telling you, you need to get alone with God. I need to get, it's got to be this conversation if you're going to know him, right? If you know, well, how am I going to know God's will? Mm. Okay, and, uh, and then one more. Uh, open your heart, open your mind, open your Bible. Open your Bible. That's education, if you will. Romans chapter 15, verse 4. I just need to stay away from right there, don't I? It's, it's right in there every time. Romans chapter 15, verse 4. You see, everything written in the days of old were recorded to give us instruction for living. We find encouragement through the scriptures and a call to perseverance that will produce hopeful living in us. I realize when I use the word education, I debated about using that word, I, I run the risk of it sounding, you know, clinical and, and sterile and, and that sort of thing. And I, and I don't mean to imply that at all. Reading the word of God should not be anything like that. You know what the writer of Hebrews says, uh, Hebrews chapter 4. God's word is living and active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, and it cuts as deep as the place where soul and spirit meet, the place where joints and marrow meet. God's word judges a person's thoughts and intentions, the word of God. It is, quite honestly, an intricate part of that conversation that I should be having with God. This is the primary way in which God speaks to us. When somebody, I just, I'm, I'll throw somebody under the bus because uh, numerous people have said it to me. But when somebody says to me, well, I just, I just don't believe, I, I just don't, I, I don't feel God's leading. I don't believe God has called me to, uh, to share my faith or, or, to, or to go on the mission field across the street or across the world. I just don't believe God has called me to do that. How many passages would you like me to turn to where he says, you shall be my witnesses, where he says, go and make disciples? Where he said, on and on. So, uh, you know, understand what I'm saying? We've got to get in here. We've got to get in. Now, listen, you get in the word of God, you, you will get educated. You are going to learn. You're going to learn places and events and dates and, and, and all that kind of... You're going to learn some of that stuff. Sure, absolutely. But it's not primarily about that. Hey, listen, can I share this with you? It's not even primarily about your, what you get out of it that helps you to have a, a better life. It's not even primarily about that. You'll get it. You, as, you, as you study the Word of God and learn the Word of God and you say, Oh, um, thou, thou shalt not do this, or I shouldn't do this, or I should put this in my life. So you'll learn that thing, and it will make your life better, but that's not even primarily what it's about. It's primarily about Him. Being with Him. Being in His presence. And when I, when I read the Word of God, when I open the Word of God, and I immerse myself in the Word of God, it becomes real in my life. He becomes real in my life. He's not just these this figure on these pages and these great stories. He's more than that. He is my God. He is personal to me. He is intimate with me. And I love to spend time with him. That's, that's where we ought to come in this thing. And then I, I will close out. We've got to go close out with this, uh, with this idea, the, the last kind of idea to share this morning. It's amazing to realize the permanence of love. We're not talking five years, 50 years, 100 years, uh, a million years. We're talking eternity here, folks. We're talking eternity here. In 17, 18, uh, look, look what he says. By this love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. What's he talking about? The end. After, after, after you're gone, after, after you say, but that's all, folks, when you're, when you're out of here. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. If he's talk, what's he talking about? He's talking about this fear in the context of judgment. He's talking about this idea of, of someday when this life is over, when you've taken your last breath, when your heart has beat its last beat, stepping out into eternity, which every single one of us and every single person on the face of this planet or who has ever been on the face of this planet, something that every single one of us will do. There is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment and the one who fears is not perfected in love. To paraphrase John, basically what John is saying is, hey, if you have experienced the love of God in your life, if you've come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, you got nothing to worry about. You have nothing to worry about. Listen to me. I have been... At the, at the deathbed of people who died without knowing where they would go or what would happen to them. And I've been at the deathbed of those who have died knowing exactly where they were going and exactly who they were going to be with. And I can tell you there is a stark difference between those two. I've witnessed this. I've seen it. I'm telling you. 
perfect love, a completed love, a love understanding that God loves me and accepts me uh, because I've given my life to him because of his sacrifice on the cross, which uh, brings me into his family. And so I have nothing to fear when I take my last breath and I step out into eternity. See, it is a love that will go on and on and on and on. Every once in a while, and I'll close with this, but every once in a while, I just like to read the back of the book to y'all. Revelation chapter 21 it, there's it's chapter 22 also, and good stuff in there. But Revelation chapter 21, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. And the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. God himself will be with them and he will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All of these things are gone forever. All of these things that you experience in your life, all these things that perhaps you're going through even right now in your life, they're eventually all gone. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I'm making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down. For what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, it is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings. And I will be their God. And they will be my children. It's love. It's love. Well, as I said at the beginning of today's message, no subject has been discussed more than love. But as we heard today, we have to make sure that we understand the true source of true love. As Pastor Clay explained, God is the source of love toward us and the source from us. His love poured out on the cross and poured into our hearts allows us to love others the way He does. And God's love will continue to be poured out on us for all of eternity. What an amazing truth to hold on to in a world that desperately needs God's love. We invite you to join us on a Sunday morning at Cross Culture Church. We gather each week in a casual and contemporary atmosphere and celebrate the goodness of our God. Cross Culture may be a little different from what you're thinking. Sure, we're a church, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. A community of believers where Jesus is revealed in the lives of each person. Real people who truly care. Solid biblical teaching from Pastor Clay Stevens. And the most energetic, safe, and fun kids program around. Find out more at crossculturelife.org. I want you to the cross. I want you to the cross. Cross Culture Church in North Raleigh. Taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.